So 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 through chapter 11, verse 1, the title here is How to Use Your Christian Freedom. And this is the second part in a series, but really it's the conclusion of a long series that we've been walking through all the way since the beginning of chapter 8, really, talking about Christian freedom and how to use that Christian freedom, how to understand when the Bible has an area that it's not explicitly saying, yes, you can do this, or no, you cannot do this. How do we apply biblical principles to help us make those decisions? And um, Paul has continually talked about idolatry and even eating meat sacrificed to idols uh, as an example of how you use your Christian freedom and how that affects your conscience and what role and what guidelines do you have regarding using freedom. And while many of us don't struggle with eating meat sacrificed to idols specifically, uh, there are issues we do struggle with. Although I, I did have one person come to me and say that she and her family had gone to um, a Thai restaurant. And uh, you know how they have like sometimes mints or candies, you know, that you can eat as you're coming or going. She saw there by the counter as she walked in a, a bowl with nuts and she started taking some. She was waiting for someone to seat them, I think, and eating and they were quite tasty. And then she noticed there was a little thing of incense next to it, and it was all in front of an idol. And so she was actually eating nuts that were being sacrificed to idols and wanted to know if that was a problem. And I said, I don't think so. I think, I don't think, I mean, the issue here is, are you offending anyone? And, and I'm sure she might be offending the people at the restaurant, but um, I don't think, I don't know, Mark, do you have any thought about that, eating nuts sacrificed to idols? No? You ever do that? No. no? Okay. All right. All right. Good to see you. It's nice to have you here. How many years you've been working in China? Fifteen, sixteen years. Never eaten nuts sacrificed to idols. Yeah, no. Okay, all right. Yeah, good. All right. Please don't look down on those who think it's okay here. I told her it's okay because it really is just a piece of metal. It's not really a god, and so it's. Uh, um, my conscience was clear. I wasn't. I hope anybody here wasn't offended. But we're going to be talking about issues like that. Um, we have learned that some things obviously should be shunned when there's a close association with idolatry. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 22 addressed those issues. But other things you could say are somewhat neutral. That is to say that the Bible doesn't necessarily condemn them, nor does it say that they are virtuous. And so you have to make a decision based on biblical principles. And instead of being legalistic and just ruling out everything that the Bible's not clear on, Paul taught that we should understand certain principles to help us make those decisions. That covers a wide range of activities today. Is it wrong to watch films as a Christian today? Is it wrong to watch films that have um, a certain amount of profanity or immoral behavior being portrayed? And where is that line? Um, Is it wrong to have stock in a company that produces films that are filled with profanity, and immoral situations? Is it wrong to drink alcohol? Is it wrong to be a Christian bartender? Is it wrong to uh, be a Christian bartender at a bar that serves hard liquor where people are getting drunk? And if you say yes, is it wrong to be a waiter in a restaurant where you're serving alcohol and people are getting drunk? Where do we draw these lines? How do we decide? Is it time for me to quit? Um, Is it... 
If you're in the film industry and you're working on a film, when is it time to hand in your resignation? When is it time to stay there uh, or leave? Um, uh, and this, these questions aren't going to go away. In fact, as our society goes downhill and continues to become more corrupt and, and more immoral, the questions will go any deeper and the lighter things might be trivialized. Some of the questions we deal with today, which won't go away, is, is it wrong? For, this is a question that was genuinely asked me. Is it wrong for a Christian to sell marijuana? I mean, 10 years ago, I would have said, really? You know, on which street corner? Or, you know, and, and uh, it depends on the neighborhood, I guess. I don't know. Um, you know, let's just talk about that issue for a minute. Um, let's just take sides. Let's get sides on whether it's okay to sell marijuana as a career. And I would like someone to represent the yes, it's okay side. Somebody who would like to volunteer. You can be, you can, let's say you'll play devil's advocate, okay? Now, anytime somebody says, you're going to play devil's advocate, it kind of shows you like what my position is. You, you can take the side of the devil and speak on his behalf, <laughs> all right? Um, but who has an argument on behalf of the devil that it would be really okay for Christians to sell marijuana? Yes. We understand this isn't your personal opinion. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. It's a plant and God made all things. And we know that. We know that. In fact, take a look at verse 26. Take a look at verse 26. This is the verse for that argument. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 26. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Amen? Amen. That's a quote from Psalm 24, 1. It's a quote that the early Jews used to justify praying for giving thanks for a meal. That since God has created everything and since uh, uh, we're eating things that he provided, that we can be thankful to him. And so Paul addressed that. However, he went on to say um, that... uh, uh, verse, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But okay, so we're, we're talking about the devil now. So uh, what other arguments do we have? Somebody else can speak up. Yes. It's legal. I mean, you know, it used to be so easy to answer this. Well, of course, of course not. It's illegal. And even if it were okay morally, it's not here. So because you'd be breaking the law. Okay, what else? What else do we have? Yes. Everything's okay in moderation. As long as it's 0.3 grams or less, you're okay. That sounds pretty moderate. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, listen. I've heard this. I've heard that argument before. I've heard that not only is it less damaging than some prescription drugs, which many of us would have no qualms taking if our doctor... uh, But sometimes some of the prescription drugs that we are actually... um, given from a doctor, from a, from a doctor, a medical doctor. Yeah. Um, sometimes those drugs are more addictive, and people get addicted to something that a doctor put them on, and one way that you can get off that is for a doctor to prescribe you something like marijuana, which will still deal with pain issues, chronic pain issues, no less, and, uh, and, then, and then you'll be less addicted to the marijuana, apparently. I'm not sure. I think they're both pretty addictive, but, I, but, uh, but that, it's a transition, right? I don't know. Yes? Uh, in pediatric medicine, there's a specific utility for marijuana for kids 
Okay, so I'm learning something new here. In pediatric, pediatric, uh, there's pediatric marijuana, which sounds like marijuana for kids, right? Like Flintstones are vitamins for kids. And, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh. But um, the, apparently, what I've just learned here is that uh, kids who have a chronic disease and are suffering in pain and losing weight, that it helps them to become, put on weight and become more healthy. It, it has, has proven effective in that. All right. So I think that's enough from that side. All right. Who would like to represent the other side, the one that's not with the devil? And uh, what are some arguments against these, these fine arguments we've just heard? Yes. Okay, so recreational, which is legal here, uh, and non-recreational, right? Like medical reason, okay? So why is it important to distinguish between those two? Yes? Yeah. Right. Right, so what I'm hearing from you is that Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine for it is dissipation. And so if you are inebriated in your mind, it is not good. And since marijuana has the same effect, you when used recreationally, that, and your heart motive is wrong in taking it, that it is morally wrong. And therefore, the person, remember we're talking about a person who sells it, he, he might, everybody might come in and say, oh, I have a medical reason for it. But deep in his heart, he knows that most people are using it recreationally, and therefore he's participating in that. Is that your argument? That's what I thought you were saying. Yes. Um, what other arguments do we have? Yes. Oh, you, you can't argue on both sides. You're wearing a black shirt. You were the first one to raise your hand. You already chose your side, but it's okay. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, what did you say? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it robs you of your short-term memory forever. And some of us have left less of that to begin with. And so, yeah, it's not, not a healthy thing. Yeah. Everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial, right? Take a look at uh, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. That's right. So when we think about these issues, another argument might be that, and this was interesting because I had this, uh, I actually asked a medical doctor who's, who's not here, but he's one of the elders in our church, and we were discussing this, and he said, actually, he's licensed federally. And though marijuana is um, legal in 18 states now, uh, he cannot prescribe it because it's, it goes against his federal license. Does that make sense? Maybe, maybe I misunderstood it wrong. You don't need to explain it. I like the argument anyway. So, um, the, but the idea is that, is that though it can be legal in one jurisdiction, it might be illegal in another one, and you could be in both, and so now you're, you're still violating a law, right? Okay, good. I like it that you agreed with me. Um, so what, what, I'm, what I'm really trying to show here is that, hey, 
we're going to have all kinds of discussions and it's going to get more weird and more wild as the, ro- as the world opens up to more and more things that, that 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago were clearly way extreme because the world's headed one direction. And though that, um, that issue might be clear to you, it may be unclear to others. And so... Um, it's important to come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 23, all the way to 11, 1, where we see five guidelines that will help you use your Christian freedom to glorify God. And we saw the first three last week. The first way we know that, or the first guideline that will help us to use our freedom to glorify God is when it builds his kingdom. Does this build his kingdom? Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. The word edify means to build up, build up the kingdom of God, build up those who are in the body of Christ. And so it is important to say, is this going to build up others? Is what I'm doing here really going to help build up the kingdom? Because that's why I'm here. I want to be kingdom-minded. A second guideline that we spoke about last week is, does it bless others? He says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor, Verse 29, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another, another's conscience? For if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning for what I give thanks? So there should be a genuine concern for others. And uh, so all of these are, are really, there's, there's an overlap between all of them. They're, they're, they're used, in, it's somewhat intermingled, but does it build up others? Does it bless others? It goes hand in hand with the third guideline, and that is freedom glorifies God when it avoids legalism. We don't want to be legalistic either and just say no, 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 because, because we have no biblical grounds for it. Legalism is when you say, when you require somebody to do something that the Bible doesn't require them to do, or when you prohibit something from them to doing something that the Bible does not prohibit them from doing. And so you're being legalistic, pharisaical. And verse 25 through 27 teaches us that uh, one guiding principle in making decisions is to avoid legalism. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. It seems like, oh man, this sounds good. I mean, finally, a clear principle that I can apply across the board. What I'm seeing here is don't ask, don't tell, don't be legalistic about this, just go ahead and eat it, and ignorance is bliss. Those sound like guiding principles. And then in the same, he goes, but, contrast in conjunction, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. And that's tough because, uh, well, wait a minute. So now I've got another thing to think about when I'm thinking about that, and it's still focused on others. And, and who is this other? And we talked a lot about this last week. We talked about the fact that This other person, is this a believer or unbeliever? And I suggested that it's most likely an unbeliever, sorry, a believer that you're trying to, um, the the picture, the the, the scenario here is that you're invited to an unbeliever's house for um, dinner. He doesn't say where the meat's from. You don't ask where the meat's from. You're sitting there. You're getting ready to eat. And someone, in this text, it is another 
okay, says to you, but this is sacrificed to idols. Now you don't eat it. So to understand that, the question is, who is that other person? And I think the most likely answer, although the text doesn't explicitly make it clear, is that it's another believer. And somebody said to me, well, I can think of scenarios where an unbeliever might say that to you. But if you take a look at verse 28, it says clearly that if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. And verse 29 makes it even more clear where it says, I mean not your own conscience, but the other's conscience. And so the guiding principle here would be, um, are we concerned about the conscience of unbelievers? Well, yes, the conscience is something everybody has, but it is likely that an unbeliever will invite you over for dinner, buy meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, serve it to you, and then say, I actually have a real conscience sake about eating meat that's sacrificed to idols. And, and, and so they probably wouldn't invite you and buy that and then serve it to you and then say it. The more likely scenario is that they would buy it for you, serve it, and someone else at the table, maybe another believer, would say, boy, this is hard for me because I, I grew up in this sacrificial system to a, a pagan god or goddess, uh, and I know they're not real, but this brings back all these memories of my um, uh, immorality that I experienced in the worship of, of that pagan deity. And now that I know that this is, um, I just feel guilty. And so... Um, you abstain because the principle is that it's better to show love and concern to, an, to a fellow brother and believer and not cause them to sear their conscience than it is to maybe um, risk losing the respect of an unbeliever for not eating the food. But let me give you a, a scenario from today, a common scenario from today. You go to a wedding. Maybe it's your uncle's wedding or your niece's wedding or something like that. You go to a wedding. The people who are getting married are not believers. You know that. But you go to the wedding, and um, they have an open bar uh, in between the uh, wedding ceremony and the reception. And let's just say, I don't know if this happens, but they take a long time for their photos, right? And so it seems like forever you're waiting for the meal, and people are taking advantage of that open bar in a big way, and they're getting drunk. And then you sit down, and they're pouring, they bring, you know, they bring the food, and people are having wine, and then there's, uh, there's a separate thing there, and they bring around bottles of champagne, okay? Not Martinelli's sparkling cider, all right? This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about alcoholic beverage that they set there on your table, and the idea is that you're going to pour it in the glasses, and you're going to give a toast. Now, you haven't partaken in any of this. You're a believer. You haven't, you're not drunk. You haven't had any alcohol, but you think... I have no problem with taking a sip of champagne and toasting to this couple. It's not, my motive is not for some sort of buzz or kind of giddy feeling. Uh, my motive is simply to honor this couple and, and, and wish them well. But at your table, or maybe even a couple of tables over, you realize there's a fellow brother there who's had a real problem with alcohol. And it would be a, a big fall for him if he took a sip. And you know this. And so you're thinking about that brother first before you're thinking about actually the unbelievers there. Because you, so you take a, your plastic bottle of water that you got from the open bar and you, when they toast, you hold up the plastic bottle of water with your friend. As awkward as that looks, that's what you do. And people, unbelievers may criticize you as legalistic or teetotalers, but 
you are standing with that brother. That's, that's the idea here. That's, I think, what he's trying to get across about not being legalistic and yet making sure that you're considering blessing others, building up others. All these work together, these principles. So now we're looking, we've seen builds the kingdom, blesses others, avoid legalism. Let's take a look at, at a fourth guideline that will help you use your freedom the right way, and that is when it's not concerned about personal rights. Freedom glorifies God when it is not concerned about personal rights. Verses 31 and 32. Verse 31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So this again overlaps with a lot of what's been said, but Paul makes it clear when he says therefore or whether then, the word then there, whether you eat, which is the issue at hand that he's been dealing with primarily for these last two chapters, three chapters, or drink, which goes along with eating, of course, and then he expands it to be all-inclusive, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're going to do everything to the glory of God, you're not thinking about your personal rights. That is one of the key things we've seen again and again and again, is that when we think of rights, we think, I have the freedom to do that. When Paul thinks of rights, he thinks, I have the freedom to give that up so that the gospel may be advanced. I have the freedom to give that up so that um, other believers might be built up. I have the freedom to give that up for the glory of God. He's not thinking about his own personal rights. He's thinking about others and the glory of God. Our entire lives are to be devoted to the glory of God. Some people, uh, I don't, how many people, how many people here have ever taken a personality test? Personality test, all right. How many of you, you know, typically there's like 100 different ones you could take, but, but typically it kind of separates in big sections, kind of like extroverts, introverts, right? The introverts are kind of logical, analytical, cautious, relaxed, patient. How many of you score high on the introvert level? See what I mean? Not many of them are willing to put their hand up. (laughs) All right? Extroverts, determined, competitive, strong-willed, very sociable, and driven. How many of you are extroverts here? (laughs) So... One of the dangers of personality tests is that we use them incorrectly. We almost use them as an excuse for personal sin. It's not how they were intended. I'm not necessarily anti-personality test. I'm not a huge fan of them because I think they're often used really against us. They can be used by an employer to say, no, you can't have that promotion because you're this type of person. When really... That might just be your sweet spot or your personality, but you can actually function in a different way. Um, I think they're bad for us, not helpful for us, because we use them as guides. They become a catalyst for how you live. So in other words, an example is uh, after church, uh, you're getting ready to go out to lunch, and you say to your introvert friend, Hey, we're going out to lunch. Would you like to come? And your friend says, well, no, I'm going to go home and have some me time. You know, after all, I'm an introvert, and I get recharged by spending time alone. 
Have you heard this? I just like relaxing, not talking to anyone. That wears me out. So I need to soak up what I enjoy doing. And going out to lunch with you all would just wear me down. <laughs> right? See how you use it as an excuse maybe for selfishness. Basically, you're just using some psychobabble to say, no, I want to do what I want to do. And, and don't, the introverts aren't the only ones who do this, by the way. Who was the extrovert? Yeah, now you're quiet. Okay, so um, the extrovert says, no, don't go home. You've got to come out with us. I mean, it's going to be great. You will be devastated if you are not there. Be inspired by me. I want you to come with us. Be my trophy today that I brought you out of your lonely, selfish little life and now got you into be serving others. If I just described your marriage, I am so sorry. <laughs> How many times do you hear people say, well, no, nah, that's not me. I'm just not wired that way. What? Who did the wiring there? Your wiring, is that your natural inclination? Because when you gave your life to Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for you and you realized you had no hope of salvation whatsoever and that you had no hope in this world and that what you deserve is really eternal punishment for your rebellion against a holy God, And so you fell to your knees and you said, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. When you said that and you agreed with Paul in Galatians 2.20 and you said, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which... I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. What you were saying is that the way you were wired, you completely disconnected all your wires and said, Lord, let me wire them according to your will. And so I'm not against you going home today and resting. I'm not against you going out with a large group and having a great time at a restaurant. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying, what motivates you to do that? What is your guide? What is the guideline for doing that? Charles Spurgeon said this about glorifying God. He said, quote, this should be the single desire of the Christian. I take it that he should not have 20 wishes, but only one. He may desire to see his family brought up well, but only so that God may be the glory glory forever. He may wish foe prosperity in business, but only so far as it may help him to promote this. He may wish for prosperity in business, but only so far as it may promote this, to God be the glory forever. He may desire to attain more gifts and more graces, but it should be only so that God may be the glory forever. This one thing I know, Christian, you are not acting as you ought to, so when you are moved by any other motive than the one motive of your Lord's glory. Everything we do should be for the glory of Christ. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever, all you do. 
And to glorify is to live in such a way that his brightness, his splendor, his greatness, his honor is recognized by others around you is that's all you want to do is lift that up, is to magnify him. And it clearly can't be, you can't be doing that when you're offending others. Paul says whether those are Jews, in verse 32, give no offense either to Jews, that is God's chosen people, those people who should be coming to faith in Christ, you shouldn't be doing anything to put a stumbling block in before them by using your freedom to flaunt something that they would never think of doing that God could ever please. So you, you want to have this right relationship with God but not put any hindrance before Jews, nor Gentiles who are unbelievers, nor anyone in the church, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering of community of believers, the community that's summoned in their common faith to fellowship together and to worship God corporately. We don't want to offend anyone. So freedom glorifies God when it builds God's kingdom, when it blesses others, when it avoids legalism, and is not concerned about personal rights. And there's a fifth principle, verses 33 of chapter 10 to 11, verse 1, when it's not guided by personal advantage. Freedom glorifies God when it's not guided by personal advantage. Verse 33 Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Paul says this. This is a surprising statement. Imitate me, he says. Why doesn't he just say live just like Christ? I think that he's writing to the Corinthians who heard the gospel from Paul. Paul was with them for 18 months. They knew Paul. They saw him in flesh living before them. And if they're asking the question, well, how can I do that? How can I really glorify God all the time? Paul is saying, I was with you. Do what I did as I was following the Lord's example. Paul wasn't perfect. But everything he endeavored to do was for the glory of Christ, and they knew the difference between that and somebody who's about themselves. When Christ came to this earth, according to Philippians 2, he was not guided by his personality test. He was not guided by anything having to do with himself. He humbled himself. He lived a life of self-denial. He was obedient, even obedient to the point of death. And he was living a life that was focused on bringing glory to his father through everything he did and everything he said. Paul has already referred to that back in chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, became, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, 
that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Take a look at verse 33. He says, it's not for my own profit. It's not for my own benefit, that is, my own good, but for the profit or benefit of others. What is he referring to? what he keeps on getting at throughout these chapters, so that they may be saved. Paul wants to make sure, and, and there's, there's this focus. I think, you know, I think sometimes we think about evangelism as something we do in a class or uh, when, when we get in the, in the van and we go to a neighborhood and we do evangelism. Paul is saying, you are here with your whole life to save others. This is part of the Christian life, is glorifying God with the mindset that others may come to faith in Christ, not only by your actions, but by your words also. Now, some people look at this verse, and they have a little bit of confusion, verse 33, because Paul says, just as I also please all men. And they say, "Uh uh-oh, I thought being a man-pleaser was wrong. Because... In Galatians 1.10, Paul wrote, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, But as we have been approved by God to, in, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And so I think the key to understanding this is that uh, when he talks about being using a similar phrase in those other passages from Galatians and 1 Thessalonians 2.4, I think he's really referring to this idea of the context there is about proclaiming and teaching and preaching, and there are teachers out there who just do what everybody wants them to do to sort of win their affection. And he speaks out boldly against that. Don't try and win people over by just being a man pleaser, an ear tickler. But in this passage, what he's talking about is evangelism and speaking to others about Christ. And when he talks about pleasing them, the context is by not putting any hindrance of something that you have the freedom to do that will keep them or or delay them from coming to faith in Christ. Clear the road is what he's saying. Make it pleasing for them. Don't get in the way of Christ's message with your rights. So we see freedom from glorifies God, your freedom. What are the principles that when you say, well, do I have the freedom to do this today? And, and listen, I'd be lying if while preparing this message, I didn't say, oh, wow, what's that in my life? You know, what's this for, uh, you know, this show I'm binge watching or this, this, uh, this relationship that I have or this activity that I wanted to do or whatever it is. What are the guiding principles? Does it build his kingdom? Does it bless others? Does it avoid legalism? Is it not concerned about personal rights? Is it not guided by personal advantage? And if you're listening to this and saying, oh man, I can't do anything now. I think that the key is learning how to do all the things that you can do with these principles. Again, we're not trying to see... Um, What am I going to lose 
the question is here is, what can I give up to glorify him more? And I think that's where our focus should be. We have about 10 minutes left. We don't have to use all that for questions, but we're ending a, a major section. It's been months that we've been here since chapter one, chapter 8, verse 1. We're about to get into a, a real different section about authority and head coverings. So you might want to read that before you come next week, ladies. Um, <laughs> any, any questions? Yes. Right, right. So the contrast in verse 33 is there's a contrast between pleasing men not for my own profit, whereas the other passages, I'm pleasing men so that I can be a false prophet. I'm pleasing men so that I can actually um, uh, get them to like me so that I can gain financially, which false prophets did it. It's all about me. And so when you look at the contrast in verse 33, it's completely different than Galatians 1.10 or 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. Um, that context is about proclaiming the gospel, preaching, teaching, and avoiding those who are just out there to please people. Is that helpful? Yeah. Pleasing for God's glory rather than pleasing for my personal advantage. That word there, um, which is found once, profit, literally the verse means not seeking my own profit, but that of many, right? Something along those lines. But that word profit means advantage, benefit, welfare, good. It's obviously self-focused. And he's trying to emphasize that. Rather, what's the purpose? The purpose is showing them Christ that they might come to salvation. That's found at the end of verse 33, so that they may be saved. Good question. Thanks, Luke. Yes? Are you not vaccinated? <laughs> um, so, um, so, I. Like, those, those yeah. So I do have thoughts on that, and I've shared some of those before, but I'll be happy to share them again and, and try to condense them a little bit. But the question is, when do I like? Is when do I wear a mask? Um, I mean, the Bible doesn't say you must wear a mask. In fact, it says to take off masks and not to be, to be yourself and not, not and show ready at Christ, not to be fake, right? No. Um, but um, uh, when do I wear a mask in respect or deference to others, and when do I not? So I've, uh, I, I, I've struggled with this. I told you guys a story about when I was at the golf range, and the guy told me to put on a, a, a mask to use the, the, the mats out there and hit some balls. And he wouldn't sell me a bucket if I didn't. 
And so I looked around, and I didn't have a mask. He wasn't giving me a mask, and I found a, a, there was a trash can there. And I looked in it, and I reached down and pulled out a mask out of the trash can. And I pulled it up, and I put it, I mean, I live in Africa, I mean, you know, I, and so I put it on my face, and uh, I said, um, you like what we're doing to each other here? Are you pleased? Does this meet your criteria? May I buy a bucket of balls now? Later, I had to repent. Why? Because I was complying, but with a complete wrong attitude. So it was glaring sin. So I would really encourage you, what's keeping you from doing that? What's, what's, uh, what's in your heart attitude? And remember, when we talk about rights we have as citizens of the United States, it's different than we talk about rights that we're given from our Lord. And so while we may fight for freedoms that this country has, which we benefit from, and you can do that with a good conscience, all right, fighting for rights that you have from God is not the right way to look at it. The first question you should ask is, how can I give this up for God's glory? How can I give this right up for God's glory? I have the freedom to give it up. And therefore, I want this person and I want those around me and I want my own heart to be doing it for his glory. Um, So I think when we talk about, um, you know, vaccinate and not vaccinate, all that, uh, in in some ways I think um, you're actually, uh, first of all, you can get caught up in just trying to win the argument. And that's not what it's about. Uh, Really, it's about trusting God, isn't it? You know, what, what, I, what I found myself saying to people uh, who might say to me, hey, you know, you're, you're putting us all at risk, um, you know, um, with not being vaccinated. I, I start, I, I try not to defend myself or whatever. I, I just say, wow, you know, um, I, think, I think we disagree about the strength of COVID. I, I think it's stronger than you think it is. I'm not convinced that masks or anything will stop it. I think the Lord is allowing this to happen, and it will be affected whether we're vaccinated or not. You may believe totally differently. You may think it's weaker than it is, that you can stop it with these things. When I'm around you, I'll do whatever I can do. I had some students come to me and say um, that they wanted to go home for the holidays, and the person that they're going to, their brother or sister-in-law, had said, you may not come in unless you're vaccinated. And I asked him, I said, uh, well, does your... Does your brother-in-law or sister-in-law, do they go to public places, like a concert? Well, yeah, they recently went to a concert. Okay, so that, did that concert allow unvaccinated people in? Yeah, as long as they had um, you know, been tested. So why don't you call them and say, hey, would it be helpful if I tested you know, 48 hours before I came to your house and isolated before I came? Would that, would that make you happy? You know, we're, we're here to, to serve. It's not about winning the argument. We want to give up. You've got your conscience. If you decide not to get vaccinated because of a conscience issue, that's fine. You're taking the risk of maybe uh, uh, dying from COVID, possibly, right? Um, and if you, take, if you decide to get vaccinated, you're taking the risk of harming your body from putting foreign things in it. I don't know. One of the dangerous things about this time is that we're going into the Middle Ages because it used to be that there was no information out there. And then we had the information age, 
where we had it at our fingertips. I couldn't get in an argument with my brother because Google could solve it every time. And now we have something I can get in an argument with my brother about because there's so much information, we don't know what to believe. You can believe anything and come up with really good statistics to back you up. So I think that in those conversations, humbly, gently, with a right motive, saying, how does your position help you trust God more? And then they, they come up with a good answer for that, that's great, because we all need to trust God. That's the issue. So I think using that, I, I kind of was scatterbrained there. Was that, that, was that helpful? Yeah. All right. Let me close in. Well, one more. Yes, BJ. Yeah, so I, I would say this. We're not going to get into pronouns right now, but if you want, you can come to my uh, Greek class. On, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> um, So the issue with masks, if it, to just close on this, and that's a good question. If you have a conscience issue that somehow wearing a mask sends a message that you are capitulating to a greater evil, and you have never worn a mask and would never wear a mask for that reason, then I think, you know, that's... I, would, I wouldn't want you to wear a mask. I don't want you to violate your conscience. Um, but I think that if you have made exceptions before, you should be consistent and, and be willing to make exceptions for, for the peace of others. So don't violate your conscience. I totally say that, yeah. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. These are principles that aren't hard to understand, but they're very difficult to apply. But one of the keys to that is remembering them. So bring these to our minds today and throughout this week. Help, help us to apply them to our lives so that when we're asking ourselves, should I or shouldn't I, we look first and more at our heart and say, how can we glorify God the most with this decision? So we commit this to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.